0: hey this is ultra runner michael McLean, and you're listening to trail tales a running podcast with sean sobon have fun on the trails
1: from the trails to the road to the track if it's running you'll find it right here on trail tales arp run wild runner, Mike McLean, the honey badger, and he is on Canadian soil. Last time we talked to Mike, he was in Thailand, but Mike, welcome back home to Canada for a little while. Anyways, you're here to, uh, to run some races and, uh, how's everything going with you? Yeah, no,
0: it's, it's great to be back. Um, thanks Sean and yeah, had a, had a nice Canadian welcome. I think it was my third or fourth day here. I got some snow, so that was, that was nice. <laughs> And then my my second day here, I was able to get my uh, double-double from Timmy's, so it it feels good to be back in Canada and, you know, doing the Canadian thing again for a little while.
1: There you go, man. Uh, I guess it's been a while since you had some Timmy's, eh?
0: Yeah, it's it's been a while. It was, well, I was thinking about it before I came because I knew they would ask me at immigration, and it was just about four years to the day since I had been back in Canada. I, I came back in 2017 for my brother's wedding, and then... Went on my tour to Asia.
1: That's it. Well, long overdue. Welcome back home, buddy. And um, thanks. Yeah. So let's let's talk about why you're here. So you originally came over. You're going to be running the Sinister Seven Ultra. Uh, that's yep. in Ju- July, if <laughs> if I'm correct. Correct. That's July um, 10th, 11th,
0: 12th. That weekend. The se- the second. I guess the second weekend in July now.
1: Okay. Andy, are you doing the hundred mile distance? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm here to do the hundred miler, um, a little bit of redemption. Um, I, I did that race in 2017. Um, I think it was my third, third or fourth ultra that I had ran. So I still wasn't, uh, to the level I am now, you know, both in preparation and just race knowledge and everything else. And it was an incredibly hot day that day. I think it was wow. one of the hottest days that that race has ever ran. And I ran into some big electrolyte and hydration issues and ended up having to DNF after 80k because I was just, you know, I was dehydrated, delirious. Um, I was actually looking at some of the pictures the other day and, and they look hilarious because I've just got this gl- bossy eyed and his big smiling grin. I look like I'm just hammered. But I'm just <laughs> I'm so dehydrated that, you know, and, and now knowing that, you know, it was like, okay, well it's a good idea. You decided to stop. So uh, yeah, I got the opportunity this year to come back and, you know, get, get some redemption on that race and then have a really good race on Canadian soil.
1: That's great, man. I guess yeah, when you get to that point, there's no real coming back from that. So DNF is is the smart thing to do. And it's funny how you say you know you're 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 hurting that bad and you still get a big smile on your face. Eh? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what you do when you love it, but yeah, exactly. You know, and that's something I've learned. Hydration is one of the things that I, I don't mess with. You know, I know the signals of my body and then as much as it sucks to come out of a race, it, you know, it's even worse to end up in a hospital on, on IV or, or even worse, especially with your kidneys, you know, you don't mess around with that stuff.
1: No, I agree. I agree. Um, And, you know, the honey badger, he doesn't care if he's dehydrated. He's still going to be smiling. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Honey
0: badger doesn't care. You just put on a smile and you say, "Okay, well, I learned some life lessons there. We won't do that next time and I'll come get you this time. So there you go. Should should be good. I'm, I'm really excited for it. I've had a really good training block leading up to it. Um, both with a lot of the hot weather and some really technical training I was doing in Thailand. And, and now that I'm back here, I'm getting some, you know, long days on winding single tracks and, and yeah, getting some really good, really good long distance bike rides in here. Cause you know, I'm, there's not as much traffic on the roads here as, as there is in Thailand. So it's a little yeah. safer to ride a little longer distance on the bike. So That's getting a great. lot of training in, which is really good.
1: Absolutely. Do you, uh, do you like to do cycling for some cross training? Do you find that that benefits you?
0: Yeah, I really do. Um, I, I really use it. it. It's one of my recovery things. And, and the other thing I like to do is I like to do almost like, like brick sessions or stack runs. So I'll go out for a bike ride and then I'll just jump straight off the bike and go for a run. Um, because it, it's really good. It, it gets your cardiovascular system working, mm-hmm. um, really good, but it doesn't put the impact on you know, you can go for an hour and a half bike ride and then an hour run and you really train your cardio and, and that really well in your muscles. But you don't have the impact of going for a three hour run.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great. It's almost like a like a secret weapon eh, when you do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. For sure. And it's nice being back here. I'm not a big fan of road bikes and, and being on the road. Um, you know, I like the mountain bikes and the gravel roads. So where where I am is, is you know, 19 kilometers from the nearest town. So it's just, there's one highway and the rest is gravel roads. So I've been skidding and skating and sliding around the gravel roads with my bike, having some fun.
1: Oh, that's good stuff, man. And when you can, when you can have fun while you're doing it, it's, it doesn't even feel like work, eh?
0: exactly that's that's the biggest part to the training is is you got to have fun you know yeah it sucks it's hard and and you're going to put in the effort but as long as you're enjoying it and and it all pays off at the end of the day
1: yeah absolutely so um let's talk a little bit about your training um leading up to the race so when when did you start your training block for for this sinister seven specifically so my
0: training block started for this race. Um, well, it had been, I had been training for another race that was going to be in Thailand. Um, okay. The weekend before that, which was going to be on, on uh, the July 1st weekend, or I think it's the third, fourth weekend, um, which is the West Wind Trail. And that's a 120 kilometer race, 6,000 meters of elevation. Your typical Thai jungle race, you know, straight up, straight downs. Um, so I've been putting in a really good training block for that. But then about... I think it was six, eight weeks ago, that race got um, postponed. I think it's postponed till December now, like a lot of the other races in Thailand. So then I started looking at some options, discussing some different things. And I thought, you know what, let's head back to Canada and we can uh, go for the Sinister race. It it needed some redemption. So really, I just rolled that training I had been doing for the 120K race into some of what I'm doing for the Sinister race. uh, Because it was very similar not similar course profile, but it's almost the exact same elevation as that race is just another 40 kilometers longer. So I just needed to put in a little bit more weekly volume. And then obviously now that I'm here, um, you know, I'm focusing on race specifics. I like to train in the same terrain I'm going to race in, um, and and train the similar things. So this weekend I'll be heading to the mountains in crow's nest. I'll spend, you know, three weeks or three days down there, then I'll come back. I'll probably be every weekend, um, either in the mountains around Crow's Nest, Canmore, Grand Cache, um, getting that elevation training in as well. You know, I plan to do quite a few runs above 2000, 2500 meters if I can, uh, just to get my body used to some of that stuff that you're not getting at sea level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So come race day, man, you should be, uh, you should be feeling really strong and really conditioned, eh?
0: Hope, hopefully, that's that's the game plan. I work together with my coach. You know, we just go into it and then hope that come race day. I mean, I still got another what four or five weeks of uh, good training and then then a week for tapering into the race, which is always the most dreaded week. I hate tapering.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is it just you just get you know your jonesing to get out for a nice long run? Is that yeah? It? Yeah. You're,
0: you're just just getting antsy, but yeah. If everything goes to plan, it should be a really good rest of my training block, and then hopefully hit that start line feeling fresh and ready right to rock and roll.
1: Oh, sounds like a plan, Mike. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, when you're preparing for a race like this, how much speed work do you incorporate into your like your weekly schedule? Is it something that you really do focus on, or are you just more focused on on getting the miles in?
0: No, definitely. Speed speed work. Um, I mean, ever since last year when we had our talk and I had that epiphany moment you know, with Eric and and the yeah. speed work and how much that plays into it. Um, speed work's always part of my Um, training, minimum once a week, and and sometimes twice a week. So normally on Tuesdays, um, Tuesdays are generally a double day for me. So I'll do a track set in the morning, um, where I try and lay down some really fast um, work there, some really good speed work, focus on form, and then I'll do a nice recovery, you know, easy run in the afternoon. And then Thursdays for me will either be a tempo session, Or I do hills on that day so I'll do my hill repeats and and everything else and you know hill repeats are always a great I I consider them a form of speed work as well because it's very similar leg turnover you know when you're going up the hill you're increasing your cadence you're focusing on getting you know your knees up high in your longer strides and and just turn the legs over going up and down the hill Um, so that's generally my speed work training blocks. Um, I really enjoy the speed work as well. It, it's kind of neat to be able to go that fast under human power, especially when you can really light it up on the track.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. It's uh, and I guess it changes things up for you too, right? It's a, it's a nice day to look forward to a little bit different than, than the rest of it.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It, it is. It's a, it's a nice break in your training. You know, it, it's short and it's very pointed, it's high heart rate and just boom, boom, boom versus the the long slogs which I quite like as well but you know it's just very different yeah they're night and day contrast from each other but they both play together so well and then going into race day just having that knowledge that you do have that you know ace in the hole if someone you know wants to have a drag race with you then (laughs) let's do
1: it (laughs) yeah yeah and I remember from our last conversation you love getting into a nice drag race eh? you're just like just give her and go
0: for sure, for sure. It' not nothing better, man. Nothing better than having you know that that last twenty k. It just pure battle, and you're giving it everything, and you just hit that finish line, and you're just yeah,
1: yeah. Give, give just leaving it all on the on the course, eh?
0: Yeah, exactly. There, there's no better feeling, both physically and mentally. You know, the next yeah. day kind of sucks, but oh well, <laughs> yeah, that's all right.
1: <laughs> um, so. When you're, you know, f- f- let's still stick on to training here, but when you know you got um, a speed session coming up um, the night prior, you know, like, you know, when we used to play hockey, I'm sure it was the same for you. you like the, the night before a game, you'd have like a, you know, a big like pasta dinner or whatever. Right. Like whatever. Yeah, are you, yeah. do? are you doing that for your speed sessions too? Are you doing a little bit of carb loading like the night before your training session or what do you do specifically for your nutrition there?
0: So I don't, I, I actually have found that I don't really modify my diet too much. Okay. Um, one thing I, I do, I, I guess, dietary wise for speed sessions is I won't eat before I go into a speed session. So I go into it fasted. Um, one is because when you're going that quickly, if you have anything in your stomach, I mean, me, especially it, it starts to kind of work its way up and then either you're, you're burping it up or letting it out on the side of the track, (laughs) um, which which isn't always nice. Um, And, and then I I find going into that session fasted, you get a little bit more out of it because you're really, really taxing your glycogen storage. You know, Absolutely. you're really getting your body used to burning those calories. So it, it's storing them less or it's storing them better in your muscles um, than it is if you're giving it easy to burn food. Like if you just had a big meal before um, you get there, my long runs, definitely um, I'll, I'll go into them with, with something to eat normally two to 300 calories, you know, a, a great meal. Now that I'm back in Canada is, you know, a, a bagel and some peanut butter and, and <laughs> some fruit. Yeah. And, uh, and and away you go two, three, 400 calories, you know, an hour and a half, two hours before you run. And and then you're good for a a good long session. Um, Otherwise, if if you don't eat anything before those really long sessions, you start to kind of power out um, even if you're taking gels and that, just because you've burnt a lot of your glycogen stores. So that's really what that's about. It's more just kind of challenging your body to, to run at its optimum efficiency.
1: Nice. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, if you're doing the speed work and you're fasted, you're you are going to kind of train your body to be a little bit more efficient at utilizing what it has in the stores and everything. And yeah. and that and yeah, for, for the longer runs, you know, you're just having some some proper fuel to be able to perform for the entire session, I guess, a eh? good strategies. there. Yeah, sure. yeah.
0: It's, it's just just keeping keeping the tank full. Right. You know, you know, you take your gels, your drink mixes, whatever snack you're going to take on the trail. But those are always they'll only top up the top third of the tank. You know, if you don't have that two thirds of the tank full, when you go into it, um, you're, you're behind already. And and for me, that normally is, is the week leading up to, you know, a really long run, especially to a race, you know, I'm, I'm really conscious of, of what I'm eating, what I'm fueling the week leading up to make sure that my body's primed and ready to go. Um, I I eat a lot of plant-based. Um, so I, you know, when I get closer to the race, I'm, I'm trying to get those, those good fats and those good carbs, now that, um, you know, Thailand was lots of rice, here it's rice, lots of potatoes, avocados, you know, that getting that kind of fuel into your body, getting it ready for the, for the long burn versus, your, you know, your really quick burning sugars, which your gels or, or anything you'll find in, that you'll take out on the trail, that's just quick burning stuff that just sits in that top third of your tank. So you really need to go in having that good glycogen stores, proper fuels, ready to rock and roll.
1: Sounds good, man. And let's, let's touch a little bit on, on, um, hydration now. So, you know, you'd mentioned your first time around with the Sinister Seven, you had, you had some issues there. Um, what, what will be your strategy strategy this time around? Are you going to be, you know, taking in fluids on, on like intervals, set intervals, or how, how are you planning on doing that?
0: Yeah. So I think then I didn't know my body as well as I do now. You know, I didn't know I was hydrating and, and dehydrating and all the the warning signs. Um, one thing I have noticed on a lot of my runs here is you don't sweat, you know, like in, in Thailand, I'm just leaking. I mean, you could follow me on the trail by my sweat trails because <laughs> um, I'm a very profuse sweater, but here you, you, Generally, tend not to sweat like that. You know, my clothes aren't ringing wet, um, but you know that you're sweating and you're excreting the electrolytes and and the fluid that's in your body. And and I knew that I did a nice long run on the Klondike Trail on the weekend, and I started to get all these salt rings. You know, I could see the salt rings forming on my back. I'm like, well, hey, I am sweating. I am excreting those electrolytes. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's very important to go away from the I'm thirsty. I'm gonna drink philosophy to the I'm drinking on a time-based I'm taking my electrolytes on a time-based um, before I didn't used to like when I did that race I was just water and like noon tablets and and like everybody else does. you come into an aid station you eat some pickles and you drink some pickle juice yeah. and, and stuff like that which is is all still really good stuff and I quite enjoy that um, but now I'm taking you know like an electrolyte tab and I generally take one of those every hour to hour and a half. And that, that's just full of all the salts you need. It's got your potassium, your sodium, um, magnesium, and, and then zinc's a really big one. Um, mm-hmm. I take, you know, like a, a, well, it's Bix recovery tablets. I use those leading up to the race to make sure that you're at the right level with all these other minerals that you need in your body besides salt. We don't just need salt. Yeah. Um, And if you can hit that balance, right. It is perfect. Um, Eating a lot of bananas as well. You know, you need to keep that potassium level up. So, so that's really the biggest switch I've made is the, you know, I'm thirsty. I'll drink To I'm going to do it more on a time-based schedule. Very similar to how I do my nutrition.
1: Nice smart idea. I think. And, and, you know, kind of like you alluded to, it's, it's definitely a learning process because everybody is going to be different in, in how their, their body performs and, and what their needs are. So Uh, it's, it's great to kind of, you know, um, get some advice from, from an elite guy like you, just to see kind of what your strategies are. And, you know, I think the takeaway here is for, for us who are listening is just to kind of experiment a little bit, see what works for you, see what doesn't, and definitely like, you know, get a coach or get a nutrition expert too, to, to kind of help you out.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's just knowing your body and, and, and test it every long run, test, test yourself. And, And that's where going into some of these runs, for example, fasted really helps you. Or um, the other thing I'll do, I I did a lot of to get to know my body is is you need to know how much fluid you're actually losing. Mm -hmm. Um, So weigh yourself, weigh yourself before you go for a run and weigh yourself just after a run and, and actually see how much body weight you lost versus how much fluid you put in. And that'll be basically how much fluid you're actually excreting during that run. Um, And that's, you know, it's not necessarily the number. It's just knowing that ratio, because at the end of the day, ultras are a war of attrition. You can only take in so much water every hour. Otherwise, your body doesn't process it and you end up throwing it up all over the place and you're probably out of the race and you can only take in so many calories every hour. Um, And it's just trying to find those numbers for you. And, and that's really where my learning process was, is finding my numbers. So it is really great to get these bits of advice and get these tips and tricks and everything from elite athletes, nutritionists. There's a whole variety of people out there that that really, really can help point you in the right direction. And then once you have this good base plan, it's just fine tuning it on your long runs. Um which is something I didn't do going into, you know, my other ultras. I never used any of my nutrition on my long runs. It's like, okay, Hey, cool. This, this jello work or this one, you know, you buy them at race expo and away you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's the biggest piece of advice I think I can give is, is, you know, get a good base plan by researching it and then test it, test it, test it, test it. And then you come into race day and, and you feel more confident as well. When you're at the starting line, you know, you're, you're only worried about putting that foot in front of you, each other you're not worried about you know am i gonna get ki
1: yeah yeah for sure for sure um great advice mike thanks so much for that um so so sinister seven you're 100 miles um what kind of elevation are you looking at what's the course going to be like this is in the in the rockies right yeah yeah Yeah.
0: so it's in Southern Alberta in, in the crow's nest um, area. So, so there is some, some pretty decent elevation. I think the highest point along the course is 2,700 meters. Okay. Um. So, so we're getting up there quite a ways. It's a hundred miles and it's just over 6,000 meters of elevation gain.
1: Okay. So that's, that's pretty high. So if ballparking, I guess you're looking at like 6,000 meters, like 18,000 feet, something like that. Is that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right in that. Yeah. Right in there. 18,000 yeah.
1: feet. hundred yeah. miles. Yeah. So. Okay. So I guess, you know, leading up to that, you said you're going to be heading out onto the trails and and getting some elevation in. So is this going to be kind of your like acclimatizing training here to get used to that elevation?
0: Yeah. Yeah. acclimatizing training, getting used to the elevation. I'm actually going to go run three legs of the race or three and a half legs of it, just so you get to know the trails and then get to know the terrain. I mean, it's, it's know your foe, right? And if you can do that, You know, it's not always practical, but if you can do that train on the actual train you're going to run or or very similar, it's so much beneficial come race day um, because you can, you can kind of turn, turn the mental. Meter down a little bit, you know, and because you know the area and you know certain things, and you're a little more in tune to your body then because you're paying less attention to did I miss a turn? You know, how far is it to this point, that point, and this point? Yeah, and then you can, you know, doing it far enough out like this, doing it five weeks in advance for me gives me a time to adjust some of my training. So I'll get to see, you know, how, how, how good am I going up some of these really long climbs? You know, there's some that's one thing you don't get in a lot in Thailand, you get really steep climbs but normally they're, they're one, two kilometers like this straight up the hill. Um, And and then you're bombing down on the other side, whereas here you're spending a lot less time at higher inclination, but you're just going up and up and up and up and up. So, so just getting adjusted to that and I'll see how my training leads up to that.
1: Nice. Nice. Um, So for these longer climbs, um, are you going to be using poles? No,
0: I won't be um lots of people do um and and there again i think it's just a a personal preference thing sure um for for me that they're not steep enough with enough elevation that i I really want to focus on using poles um so i just train to to go with certain races i do and and certain races i i don't and it's just one of those again personal preference things um And I think the best bit of advice I've ever been given about poles was given to me by a elite ultra runner, Harry Jones. And I asked him about poles when I was just getting into, I said, how do you know when to use poles? He said, look at the elite runners. If the elite runners have poles in their bag, put your poles in your bag. If they don't, don't. Um, So and it all just depends what, what you're looking at, right? If you're looking to be a completer and just get out there and complete the course, then I would definitely recommend taking poles to Sinister seven because they really do help you. If, if you're at that, you know, that, just that, I think I can, I think I can just that constant grinding pace that yeah. they really help, you know, take some stress off your lower legs. Um, and there, again, the other thing about poles, if you're going to use them, train with them. Um, don't come into race day, having not ran a long run with them or having not used them, um, because they do change your body mechanics a little bit. And I've seen some really great ultra runners DNF in big races like UTMB because they've had hip flexor issues or lower back issues because they weren't used to using poles. Then they went and used poles and it changes your gait and your your cadence just enough Mm -hmm. that if you're constantly pounding with it, eventually something's going to pop up.
1: Man, so that's there again, yeah.
0: you're going to use them, train
1: with them. That's such a great advice. You're right. And it's, it's almost like nutrition, right? You don't want to try anything new on race day. So like you just said, I wouldn't even have thought of that. Yeah. If you're going to use poles on the race, it makes absolute sense uh, to train with them as well, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. You all know how I love to run with Piper the Wonder Dog. Her safety and health are my number one priority when we're out on the trails together. And that's why I've been giving Piper Big Country Raw's all-natural joint support supplements since she was a pup. Trail Tales ARP is happy to provide you with a discount code for 10% off your order at BigCountryRaw.ca. Visit BigCountryRaw.ca and use the code trailtails one word, to receive your 10% discount today. Run wild. Um... So just before we start recording, you had mentioned you actually have a bit of a a bit of a schedule of races coming up, too, right? So you're kind of doing like the tour to Canada here, which is pretty awesome. I think you're making making the best of your best of your time here. So what else have you got lined up?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I thought, you know, I'm I'm here and there's there's so many great races in Canada and, 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 you know, some great organizers and that. So I thought I'm here. I might as well do the the tour to Canada, as you say. So I'm going to do the Sinister Seven. And then not quite three weeks later, I'm going to do the Canadian death race, Um, but I'm not going to do the full distance event there. I'll I'll just do the the near death marathon, they call it, which is 42 Ks. Yeah. Um, and 42 Ks. And I think it's 2,500 to 3,000 meters of elevation. So it's a, it's a pretty intense marathon. It's it's not your typical road marathon. <laughs> um, and that's just because I wouldn't have had enough recovery time, you know, to put in a good run at 125 K. So that I'd go do the 42 K and just have some fun and then be there and then, you know, be part of the race atmosphere. Um, I might even go volunteer at some aid stations and then do some other things after I finish my run, just to be part of the the race atmosphere in the team and help things out. And awesome. then I'm going to head to the um, UTHC in, in La Malbe, um later on in, in September. And, and I will run the full distance there. I'll run the 125 K event there. So I'll be hitting down there as one of the race headliners. Um, that's a race that I had originally had lined up. I think in 2017 as well, I was supposed to go run that race. Um, but then I couldn't go because we were in Houston and hurricane Harvey had hit. Yep. Um, so flights were canceled and everything else. And and then, you know, three months later I was back in Asia. So it's a race. that's always been on my bucket list. It looks like a really beautiful place. Um, and they have seven or eight different race distances. So it's, it's just a really good, um, event and a, and a good timing to go to it. I thought, you know, I'm here, so I might as well get involved in some of these great races. And, and it's the only stop on the ultra trail world tour, um, in Canada as well. So,
1: so that'll be a pretty exciting race and and um you know I'm sure the the field of competition will be will be pretty good there too, eh?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think it will be at all the races. I mean that that's the you know the great part about coming back here as well is is get back into some really competitive running. Not that it wasn't competitive in in Thailand, but just with the restrictions and that and and I think ultra running has had longer to prosper here in thailand so you you got a, a bigger field of of closer competition um so so i'm really looking forward to it getting back out there on on the trails and and you know having having these good dog fights i, I love that there, there's nothing better than you know two three four five ten people just just pushing themselves all out all day on the trails
1: yeah it sounds sounds pretty grueling but exciting at the same time man
0: eh? yeah exactly
1: oh man so um Going back to the Sinister Seven, um, how many do you know? How many runners are going to be competing at this race, and kind of how they're going to start you off and everything? Um, so the last last I had seen is they were they were up around
0: 200 in in the 100 mile, um, and I think this year will be the first year they do have a 50 mile event as well, and they also have the relay race. So okay. they do, you know, I, I think it's teams of five that that run each run basically 25 miles each um, or around in that so so there'll be quite a few runners there Um, I think they've got several different plans in the works and it's just going to be whichever one is allowable by the government regulations at that time I mean they've got a plan in for wave starts and and all that if the regulations don't change Um, they have lightened here in Alberta as of June 1st So they'll be able to start a few more people in waves. You know, they have a really good plan in place for aid stations, transition areas, and and stuff like that. Um, So it'll be a a little interesting. You know, the the wave starts will always be the interesting thing, you know, especially if, you know, I, I don't think the race will be that close, potentially, that wave starts matter. But it could be. So, you know, theoretically, you could be the first person to cross the finish line. Um, but if someone started 20 minutes behind you and then they're only 10 minutes behind you crossing the finish line, then technically they have just, you know, won the race. So it it, it could make for some interesting endings um, Absolutely. In, in the race. I, I don't know exactly how far apart they're starting people in that. But I know Brian and his team at Sinister Sports have a really good plan in place. They, they've been really good at keeping racers updated. There's always updates on the Facebook site. So we're not going to go to race day and have something unexpected at the start line shoot and be like, Oh no. And, Cause that's the worst thing that can happen. You're all set. You're ready to go. And they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, we're only going to start you five at a time. It's like, really guys. Yeah. You know, so their plans are all in place and, and we're all kept updated on it. So I think it's just going to depend. I mean, and obviously they're like all the rest of us, we hope to have a race as close to pre pandemic normal as we can, because that's yeah. the fun part. You know, it's that being together at that, starting shoot feeling and then you know the the pre-race suppers and check-ins and getting to, to chat with everybody and then the post-race stuff and being able to get into transition areas and, and actually talk to the people and enjoy it and, and they're not handing you your drink on a on a little stick and going, you know, <laughs> here take 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 your water and get <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so true it's almost like when you're at tim hortons they they hand out the the debit machine and the drinks it all comes in this tray and like, take it and go <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no it, exactly it's you yeah. know the, the we've become new uses i mean the only time you ever used to see them little squeezable claws was when people were picking garbage now we use them <laughs> to hand everything to people right? it's like, you know <laughs> i understand it but i'm really waiting to get back to you know the the normalness of it because that's the fun part of a race that's what makes a race for me you know being able to go into aid stations and you know chat it up with the volunteers and okay maybe we can't high five but you know at least you can chat it up and then we can both see each other smiling because we don't have masks and face shields yeah. or else, you know. and everything else and if it happens, it happens. I mean, if, if I have to wear a mask in transition areas and I have to wear a mask, I'll I'll do what I need to do to race and and comply with it to make sure that everybody has a safe and fun time. But obviously it's, it's more enjoyable if we can get closer to normal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And those, those are the dynamics on race day and leading up to it, that you just can't, you can't capture that anywhere else, whether, you know, you're running a virtual or whatever, whatever else it may be like, that's, that's just, that's the huge draw, I think, to doing these events and signing up for these races, just the camaraderie and, and you know, the, the people there, it just really makes the event that much more special. It almost makes the race like, you know, secondary. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to run a race. <laughs>
0: definitely and then that's really what drew me to ultras it, it is that ultra family i call it and it's, it's really yeah. cool and, and any trail race no matter what distance you know if you're running 100 miles or you're there for for the 10k fun run you're all still socializing together and you're, you're just having you know very interested in in the sport and, and talking to each other and, and that definitely makes a race but as i say i think i'm um, you know a lot of people are respectful enough and just looking to get racing that we'll do whatever we have to do to make sure the event is is safe. fun for everybody abiding by whatever regulations are out there um you know and if if that kind of stuff is really and that's another thing i would say to people that kind of stuff really stresses you out that you might have to do these things or might have to comply with these regulations um, most of the races out there are offering deferral options You know, as much as I want to see people at the starting line, if you're not going to be there and enjoying it because you're worried about having to wear a mask or do something at a transition area that you don't want to do, then just defer it to next year. um, And hopefully that it clears up um, because you're probably not going to enjoy it. And, you know, and either that or just focus on what you can control. I can't control what any government body is going to do. All I can control is, is how I'm going to react to that.
1: Yeah, no, it's so true. And uh, you know, I think from what I've heard, you know, all the race directors out there, no matter what series it is, they've been really good at, you know, offering deferrals to people because of cancellations yeah. or restrictions or whatever. Right. So yeah, that's, that's some great advice too. Cause you want to be able to enjoy it. Right. And everybody's different.
0: Yeah, exactly. And everybody's different. So if it's, if it's going to be a stress stressor for you, you don't need extra stressors on race day running an ultra is enough stress that you don't need anything else (laughs) in your mind. So, so, you know, think about it and maybe take those options or just give it a little different mindset. Like, you know what, Hey, I'm getting to race again. It doesn't matter if you make me wear a face shield, you know, the whole way, well, it's really going to suck, but you know what, if I really want to race, I'll probably figure out a way to make it enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, man. Great advice from the honey badger.
0: And at the end of the day, exactly. Honey badger don't give a shit.
1: That's it, man. <laughs> now I want to ask you now. So you know, running in the jungles of Thailand versus you know running in the in the mountains uh, in the province of Alberta. What what are the bug situations like? Right, Ju- like July here, especially like you know, the bugs should probably be in in full swing. Like you know, black flies might be going out. I don't know what it's like out there, but I know over here uh in the summer months man you got the deer flies and those things are just brutal they're like tanks you got to hit them at least three times to kill them if you're if you're fast enough so so what's that going to be like for you so for me, it's a, a, a
0: nicer situation. I mean, that that was actually one of the questions I was asked in Thailand when I was come back here. Everybody's concerned about the bears. And they're like, uh-huh. oh, aren't you worried about running with the bears and, and, the, and the bigger animals, right? And I said, no, not really. I'm more concerned about all the venomous creepy crawlies you have in Thailand, right? A lot of the bugs, plants, snakes that live in the jungles of Thailand, they either bite you, poke you, you know stab you whatever they do um it's not going to be a fun day you know if you get bit by a snake in thailand you know the likelihood of it being a fairly venomous snake is pretty high um same with some of the bugs you know they got some really nasty bugs that just one bite is you know not nice whereas here yeah we have the mosquitoes and the deer flies and the ticks but you can you can prepare yourself for that um and one of the things I've actually found that works really well, and I've discovered that in Thailand, is just uh, sunscreen or, or, or sun lotion. Um, it works really well for me. One, because I burn because I'm, you know, the ginger haired fair skinned <laughs> guy. Um, so I have it on most of the time anyways. But I find it just puts that thin coating on your body, that, that insects and bugs they just don't like to land on or be on.
1: Um, nice.
0: Obviously, when you're moving, it's a, it's a little better. You know, when you stop at transition areas, it'll probably be a little bit more of a pain Um, but as long as you're prepared for it it, it's okay and you know bears are bears you know I I don't worry about them too much here I prepare for it I I carry a bear banger with me which is basically a a pen flare that just makes a big noise Um, I prefer that over bear spray Um, but again my advice on that is whatever you're going to carry if you're going to carry something whether it be a bear banger or bear spray know how to use it be versed in using it. It's no good to pull something out that you have no idea how to use. It, it's, you know, it makes no sense. So just yeah. be versed in using it. And since I've been here, I've seen one bear, um, and it was a small little two year old black bear. And I just gave a holler and it took off. It was way more scared of me than I was of it. So it's just, Again, they're very similar, you know, when you're on the trails, pay attention to your surroundings, you know, you don't want to step on a snake in the middle of the trail of Thailand, you don't want to come around the corner and have a black bear in the middle of the trail in Alberta either. So make some noise, you know, sing to yourself, yell out every couple of, you know, 100 meters, just give a yell, a holler, you know, hoot and holler, have some fun on the trails and, and just make things aware that you're out there. And generally, you won't see anything, they'll be gone before you get there. Yeah. Um, and then obviously here, is, especially in Alberta and, and you guys, I think the biggest one I worry about is probably ticks because yeah. that they'll get on you and they'll kind of burrow in and then go in deep. And then, you know, you won't see them for a few days until they get about as big as a toonie. Um, so, so just check yourself after you're done running, you know, take, take your socks off, check your socks, check your shoes, check your body. You know, they like to get into behind knees and in the back of your neck and elbows. And so just, you know, do a thorough tick check basically when you're done and yeah yeah, you should be all right it's yeah so it it really doesn't change a lot of what I do it just changes what I'm paying attention for and I would rather pay attention for large black and brown things that are much easier to spot than you know a two-foot snake that's laying in the middle of the trail that's just about the same color as vegetation
1: yeah exactly man I'm with you on that one I I, for one, cannot stand snakes. I used to like when I was a kid, we used to go collect them and pick them up. And then, and I had an incident with one, it was, wasn't even a live snake. It was one that got, uh, uh, met its end by, I guess, a big field more was riding my bike through the field. And then uh, I guess part of the body got caught up and hit me on the inside of my thigh. And that was ever since then, man, I get the heebie jeebies. It's just, it's the startling aspect. You don't see them till the last minute and then they move. And it's just like, yeah. I don't like it. Don't like it anymore. (laughs) But yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, hearing, hearing your comparisons of what it's like in Thailand versus here, I I think I definitely choose, choose the pests here in Canada because they sound like they're, you know, safe for the bears. I mean, and even getting attacked by a black bear is going to be super rare, but the stuff here is more of an annoyance. Whereas the stuff in Thailand, I think can, can probably lead to some trouble for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, and you know, a lot of, and that's just the way it is, you know, when you get into these tropical climates, more things have, have more, they're more adapted to survive and, and hunt in those climates where things are more abundant. So they're, they're yeah. pretty much, much more venomous than they are here. Um, everything spends all of its efforts and energy on, on staying warm and staying fed here versus defense and, and everything else mechanisms that you need in the jungle so it's just different mm-hmm. adaptations and you know it just gives you as i say it's just a different contrast but i feel a little bit more at ease and, and can focus on on things a little bit more here on the trails where, where i'm looking a little further ahead and then just what's coming next on the trail versus doing more of a, a closer foot scan of, of am i going to step on a snake or something so it's just adjusting to where you go
1: yeah, uh, yeah, they both
0: have their benefits. They both have their downsides It's just like anything. But, you know, relative comparison, it's just pay attention to your surroundings and, and know what you could or couldn't run into and be prepared for it.
1: Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about temperatures now. So when you're starting out and you, you know, you get to the your peak elevation around 18000 feet or 6000 meters, um, are you expecting to have, you know, significant change in temperature when you get up that high? Definitely.
0: It's it's gonna be quite a change. Um, so it's it's all gonna depend on what it starts on race date, but it's still gonna be a, a big change. I mean, the the year I ran and, and... So I didn't get into the really high elevation parts of Sinister, but definitely, I mean, down on the ground, the the year I ran it, it was 29, 30 degrees. And even up at some of the other elevations, it had almost dropped five to 10 degrees. Um, And and to put that in comparison versus like the Canadian Death Race, the year I ran and completed that one, 2018, I think it was, um, it was very similar. So it was 26, 27 degrees when we started in Grand Cache. And by the time we got up to the top, up Mount Hamill, it was three and four degrees and, and trying to snow. Um, And and that's on August long weekend. Um, So it's just really about being prepared for that as well. And, and, you know, I mean, we had the unfortunate tragedy here in in China a couple of weeks ago, um, where we lost 21 runners and, and, you know, um, really great elite runners And, and it's just focused people's attention on, on be prepared and be be self-reliant. Don't rely on race directors to tell you what you should or shouldn't have in your pack. Yeah. Um, you know, know, know your foe, know what you could or couldn't run into. And especially in the Rockies, the Canadian Rockies, it can change in 15 minutes. It can go from 25 degrees to five degrees and snowing in a, in a blink of an eye. So just be prepared for it. And and yeah. that's really how I'll go about it. So I would like, if it was quite hot to, um, I think that gives me an edge over some of the other competitors, maybe. Oh, absolutely. I've been heat training for months, so you could give me 35 degree temperatures and it wouldn't bother me too much.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: Versus the, the colder temperatures, I still haven't quite got used to it. I think this is the first morning that I've been out with a t-shirt. That was funny the other day I was in, in my hometown and went to get a coffee at Tim Hortons and people are in there with shorts and t-shirts on. And I had debated when I left the house, should I just wear a hoodie or should I wear a hoodie and a jacket? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that contrast to what people are used to, right? Yeah. Everybody's absolutely. wearing their summer clothes here and I'm still barely shedding my winter layer.
1: No kidding. Eh? You're probably looking for the long johns in the local store. Eh? Where's the long john?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh man. So I want to ask, you know, when it comes to to the changes in, in the climate um, with the elevation, um, would you say it's it's better to be a little bit over prepared rather than under prepared like that? And what kind of things are you going to take with you? Um, I guess depending on on forecasts and temperatures and things like that. Yeah,
0: definitely over over prepared is is way better than under prepared. And one thing I would say is if you're going to cheap out on gear don't cheap out on on there's a couple things not to cheap out on one is running shoes and and the other is cold weather gear if you're going to buy it and bring it for a race make sure it's good stuff you know i see a lot of people like utmb is a prime example where they've put in all kinds of regulations of what gear has to be and it has you know all the technical specs of what it has to be because people would buy something that met the requirements but like long leg trousers right people would come with a pair of pantyhose <laughs> is that really going to help you when it's cold no it's not it's a long leg trouser yes but it's not going to help you so um, get good cold weather gear and if you get good cold weather gear I um, mean if you're going to pack it buy some decent stuff it's a little bit more expensive but there's some really good stuff out there now especially at um, much better prices and then it becomes much lighter as well if you get the good stuff it's lighter it's easier to pack you You know if you're gonna pack your old 1980s winter parka yeah it's gonna suck carrying it around but you can get a really nice you know light thin shell down jacket that weighs 30 grams and it'll go in your bag and it'll keep you warm Um, and layers don't just rely on one piece take several layers Um, and that's really what i do so just depending on, on what the race is to start and, and is to finish, I'll always be prepared I'm um, in between. And, and what I would say is always pack most of that stuff in your bag and, you know, a good bivy. Uh, I mean, you can't, a, a bivvy a a thing you should have. You know, a lot of the packs now come with those little square packages, you know, basically the aluminum foil kind of Um, blankets those are nice but you can go get some really good bivvies like from mountain equipment co-op or or some of these other stores and and they're not much heavier but the insulating factor in them is way better so it's just more more peace of mind of having that Um, and you know what as as a good ultra runner and as a good trail ambassador a lot of times it's not even for you you know if you see someone else struggling then it's great to have that stuff in your pack You know, if you can stop and be of assistance to another runner, then that's, you know, what we're here for as well. So I always pack a little bit more, you know, I'm not one of the, I think my pack is probably would be one of the heavier ones out of the elite runners. I'm I'm not a, you know, super light and fast guy. I'd rather be more prepared and worry about packing an extra hundred grams in my pack, you know. Yeah, For me, that's how I look at it. If, if a hundred grams is going to make or break my race, then I haven't trained properly going into it.
1: Yeah. Sage advice from the honey badger himself. I love it. Um, And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure if, uh, if you uh, come upon, uh, you know, a fellow runner, who's going to need some help and you're able to to assist them in any way, if they were underprepared, they're really going to appreciate that as well.
0: yeah. They'll appreciate, you'll appreciate it. And it just makes everyone's time, you know, so much better. And, and that, that's what we're out on the trails for, you know? Yeah. We're, we're out there to be competitive, but it, it's a, it's a family. So anytime you get a chance to help someone else out, then, you know, it feels good. And and yeah. nothing, nothing would be worse for me than coming up on somebody and not being able to help them because I wasn't prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And you, know, you just, yeah, you'd feel pretty shitty about that.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. So I want to ask, you know, um, come back to Canada after after an absence of about four years. You pick up your Timmys. Have you have you uh, rediscovered any other beverages you haven't been able to have for a while? Um,
0: yeah, a few Canada Dry ginger ale. <laughs> there you go. That's another one. I haven't been able to get that for a while. Um, not too much else. I haven't been out and and you know, as restrictions and things have been in place, you know, it yeah. hasn't been out too much Uh, i can't wait to go get a a huge massive plate of poutine Um,
1: you you know
0: i i grew up on i I grew up on rink food you know i was in the hockey rink all the time so so those kind of things really have that nostalgic memories on me um but it's it's just been a really good difference coming here, you know, getting a lot of that, you know, things that I really miss that were really expensive over in Thailand were like the fresh berries, you know, blueberries, strawberries, you know, I can't wait till the Saskatoons start coming out here in Alberta and and stuff like that. Um, whereas I could get them in, in Thailand, but they were so expensive and they were really poor quality, but it's, it's the inverse here. So I go to the grocery stores here and, you know, you look at the, the mangoes and the, some of the other fruits like that, I Love in Thailand and eat all the time and cost you next to nothing. Here, you know, you almost have to mortgage your house to buy them. (laughs) Really poor quality. So, it it, again, it's just that trade-off. So, so I've gone from eating a lot of mangoes to eating a lot of strawberries and blueberries now. There you go. (laughs)
1: Well, now you mentioned Saskatoon's. What's what's that? I've never heard of that other than the place.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, no. So it's it's basically it's a tree berry. So it's a it's a it's a tree. And it's very similar to a blueberry. It's almost like a blueberry. Um, I think they're native to Alberta, Saskatchewan. They're kind of a a prairie tree. Um, And you pick the berries off a tree. Um, and then I just had, it, it just brings back so much of my youth. I used to go out there with my grandma all the time and we'd go Saskatoon picking. So we'd go find the trees and, and pick the berries off and then she'd come home and make the pies. So, you know, it's just, it's more of that. I've been reconnecting with a lot of the stuff from that memories from my youth, you know, and that was running the Klondike trail last weekend was one of those. Cause I remember going out there every year raising horse ride. With my mom and dad and a whole bunch of other people, they organized a a horse ride that used to raise funds for multiple sclerosis, Canada. Um, And it was, you know, you'd go out there, you'd ride your horses for 25 kilometers, you'd stop, you'd have a little bit of a picnic, and then you'd ride it back. So I ran that exact same trail the other weekend. Um, and nice. did very similar thing. My mom and dad met me at the 25-kilometer mark. We had a little picnic, and, and then I ran back. So it was a lot of nostalgia involved in the run as well as a good training run. So it, it's been really nice to enjoy some of that and, and you know just see some of the family members and, and get some of the Canadiana that I had been missing.
1: Oh, I bet, man. Certainly sounds like you're making make it the most of your time here, and, and that's so great to hear, man. Happy for you to be able to experience yeah. all that. And for your family, too. I'm sure they've missed you quite a bit.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Especially, you know, the, the brothers and then their, their kids. So I'm getting to see my nieces and nephews and then mom and dad a little bit more. So it's, it's
1: great. That's awesome, man. Um, but before we, uh, finish off here, Mike, you want to, you want to say something to your wife and kids back home in Thailand?
0: Yeah. Hey guys, Hayden, Mason, Lexi. Um, Hope you guys are doing well. You know, I'm I'm talking to them every day, so they, it it it's great. Technology is amazing. You know, I yeah. can, I Facetime with them every morning, every evening. Um, we're 13 hours time difference, um, so it it's great. My my night is their morning. It, my my littlest my girl Lexi, she just thinks that's great. I'm having supper while she's eating breakfast, and she goes, <laughs> "How does that happen?" You know. It's, it's it's really good so and you know they're keeping busy now restrictions are coming off in thailand so they're back playing football basketball all their team sports so you know it sucks being away but they they understand that you know dad's got some big, bigger purposes for being away as well and, and they're so yeah. supportive that it's just great so hi guys <laughs> hope you guys are having fun
1: <laughs> daddy misses you and he'll be home sooner <laughs> than you know <laughs>
0: yeah exactly exactly it goes by pretty quick i think the only time that didn't go by very quickly here was the three days i had to spend in a hotel in vancouver yeah the the initial arrival quarantine i I think i wore wore a nice strip in the carpet out of the hotel
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right so you landed you landed in bc then you made your way over to alberta yeah yeah. yeah.
0: So landed in BC, you have to do the mandatory three day kind of quarantine on arrival at the government hotel, and, and then you're allowed to transit back to um, your place of isolation, and then you self isolate um, for a few days. And then on day eight, you do a at home COVID test, which was kind of neat to had a, had a nurse on my computer watching me do my test, and then you send it in the mail. Nice. Um, and then you get that result back And 14 days later, you're free to enjoy. So
1: Beautiful. Did you have to do a test uh, before you left home in Thailand or?
0: Yeah. So I had to do one before I left no more than 72 hours before boarding my flight to Canada. And then I had to do one on arrival in Vancouver. So you get off the plane, you go through customs, immigration, get your bags, um, and and then you stop straight and you get a COVID test. And that's what you're waiting at the hotel for. So you have to wait there to get those
1: results. Yeah. Yeah. Three days is about the turnaround. That's right. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I want to ask too quickly, uh, you said, you know, going back to the equipment, you said, you don't want to, want to chinch chintz out on anything. So talk about shoes, man. So you got traction. What are you going to be running in for these races? <laughs> so th- this is another
0: good thing about the, um, test runs or, or these reckeys I'm going to do because I do kind of remember some of the train but I don't remember it all so I'll be taking my full complement of Scott shoes there and I'll probably be trying out a, a different pair in, in different sections and different days um, and, and then I'll just see what works best with me you know I ran with my uh, Kinabalu Ultra RCs on, on the flat 50k run and they work just great you know they have just enough traction they have a little bit more cushion and they're more of a, a speed demon so so, so they were great on the trail there. Um, and then I've also got, you know, my super track twos and, and a few other weapons up my sleeve that I'll be, you know, using and, and testing on the trails j- just to make sure I get the right combination. Um, and and I, I usually never change my shoes throughout the race um i just don't like taking them off yeah and I, I sometimes change a pair of socks if they're really wet or i really need to change but generally i'll keep the same shoes on just so you don't introduce a potential new stress or new difference to your feet um, so i really want to find what shoes going to work for the whole race if i have to sacrifice in a, in a couple kilometers of a section then that's fine as long as it's you know so I want to find a shoe that's good for 70% of the course if I have to give up 30% then I'm fine with that
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense and uh pretty pretty sound strategy I think for sure there um also you know we can't we can't talk without giving a shout out to Eric Boom back in Thailand and effortless running and uh it's been pretty exciting there now Now you're coaching with effortless running right now and you guys have been doing a bunch of group runs and stuff there, which is great. I've been following that on Facebook and on Instagram and uh, you guys just got like a a performance lab set up. How's, What's that all though? Give us this. Yeah. On so,
0: you know, it, it was, it was getting set up, everything was going good. And, and then the restrictions came in that sure. you know, gyms and fitness facilities couldn't be open. So he had to run it and we had to run it doing a bunch of, you know, we could do private bookings and as long as it was really well monitored and managed, we could have people in. Uh, but now as of June 1st, so today um, it's the restrictions are off. Gyms are open back up. So it'll be going full swing. And it's really great. It's it's something I think that Phuket in Thailand was really missing was it it's a focus on performance, right? We've got the top top of line treadmills, top of the line video running analysis. So if if you're a runner and you want to go, you know, and it's for all denominations of runner, if you're looking to do the couch to five k. I think it's good to go in there and get a basis and get some starting. Um, but it also fits those elite runners that are looking to gain that extra one or two percent, whether it's in, in how you train um, or how you, you know, just in your stride in, in some running economy. Um, we've also got a strength and conditioning coach, Sally, that's going to be in there doing strength and conditioning sessions. Um, Cause I think that's a big part of it that runners sometimes tend to forget. Oh, you know, yeah. We just run, 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 run. run. We never do strength and conditioning exercises. So it, it's really exciting. Unfortunately, I'm not there for a lot of it, but you know, technology allows you to do a lot of things, you know, away in that. And then Moving to the next, I think we're looking to try and get a hypoxic room there as well. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so basically we can, we can, you know, suck out the air of the room and then crank up the elevation to whatever we want. So we can have you running on a treadmill in the Himalayas if you really want to. Um, I think that's just going to bring that extra edge of training. And I think that's just more for me and Eric to have some new toys to play with versus (laughs) anything. Right. You know, we kind of like all that kind of stuff too. So it it is great. And yeah, the group runs are starting again. Um, They kind of went during some of the pandemic, but then it just got to be that restrictions were too much. And it's more of a risk thing, right? You, you don't want to be that guy that ruins it for everybody else because something happens on one of your group runs. So they were yeah. kind of paused for a little bit, but now, now we're, it'll be kicking them off um, back full steam. Um, I'm going to look to do a few things here in my hometown. I've been reaching out to some people. Um, my mom was a teacher for 35 years at the local school here. Um, so I've reached out to a few teachers. I might go in and, and do some stuff for some PE classes and, and a few things things like that because now that it's summer they're starting to get the running season and that going and just trying to pique people's interest in our sport and, and letting them know you know how good of a lifelong hobby and you know health benefit running can be yeah um, and, and you know i think people take it for granted here they have this wide open spaces to run and and Nobody does run. You know, nobody walks to the neighbor's house. Nobody runs to the neighbor's house. Nobody even bikes to the neighbor's house. Everybody gets on an ATV or in their truck and goes, you know, so if I can get a few more people interested in saying, hey, you know what, my friend's only two kilometers away. Why don't I just jog over there? You know, that would be awesome if, if I hear kids talking like that. So that's kind of my aim. Some of the other side projects I mean racing my training that's that's the forefront but obviously just to keep my time busy and stuff like that I would love to get in and doing some stuff with the schools Um, I really like you know youth sports and then helping mentor youth and that I mean I when I was living here before I was I was coaching youth hockey and and things like that so I quite enjoyed that stuff so that's kind of where I look to evolve some of my effortless focus too
1: That's awesome, man. Being a great ambassador, not only for just healthy living, but for ultra running as well. And, and sharing that, sharing that, you know, it's really, I look at it as a gift, right? Like running is a gift that we, we all have access to. So to be able to share that with, with the youth and stuff, you could plant some seeds right now and, and watch them grow away.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it it completely changed my life. I mean, you know, five, five, six years ago, you know, being the overweight, unhappy, you know, eating bad, drinking lots, and to where I am now, it's just like, wow, and and I'm just so happy and full of life every morning I wake up. If I can share that with, you know, if I reach out to a 1000 people, and even two or three people take it on, then hey, then then I've done good. And and that's really how I look at it.
1: Yeah. And you know what, I find it so inspiring too, because in the grand scheme of things, you haven't been at this for that long, but to see where you're at now compared to where you were like uh-huh. a short time ago is phenomenal. And it gives a lot yeah, of yeah. inspiration and hope to guys like me. And I'm sure everybody else listening is just, it's really amazing, man. It's good stuff.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. And and thanks for that. And and that's really all I can hope to is, you know, just inspire people. And and if people have any things, you know, all, all my info will be in your podcast when it's released to get in touch with me, drop me a DM, drop me a message. I love talking to people, giving people tips and tricks or letting them know what worked for me or how I did it. Not necessarily it'll work for everybody, but you know, that's, that's the goal of it. And, and I think, especially now with, you know, all of this stuff that's happened with the pandemic and everything, I think mental health, you know, we're seeing this huge mm-hmm. barrage of mental health issues. Um, running can help with that so much or any type of exercise because it's just that release. It gets that endorphins, you know, you get that dopamine going, you just have that feel good moment. Yeah. Um, and especially if you do it correctly. You know, if, if, if you do it wrong, you go out too fast, too hard. Yeah, it's going to suck. You're going to get shin splints or you're going to get sore hips and, and all of the stuff that comes with that. So that's really where I want to help people as well. You know, I want to get people into this sport, um, whether it's to be competitive or just for healthy. And that could be physical and mental health. Because um, I think that's the biggest untouched faux pas still in, in the world. And, you know, especially in the pandemic is mental health.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Some some great final thoughts from the honey badger himself, Mike McLean, back on Canadian soil. Mike, I have one last thing to say to you, buddy, and that is to run wild, my friend.
0: Awesome, run wild, Sean. It's awesome chatting with you again, and uh, yeah, can't wait.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to uh, get you back on in between the races and get some updates and stuff if if you're if you're willing.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It's always great chatting with you and, and lo- love to get out to all your listeners. Uh, I think you've got a great community that you're starting to build. And it's, it's a real inspiration to, to, you know, just get myself out there. So definitely available anytime, man.
1: Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. And thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for listening to Trail Tales a Running Podcast. It would really help us out if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. And don't forget about our Strava group, Instagram, Facebook page, and YouTube channel at Trail ARP. Please visit TrailTalesARP.com today to learn more about the show. Run wild.